Good morning. As we uh, prepare to get started this morning, I would like to begin as I did the Bible class this morning. First off, I want to uh, thank everybody for your prayers for our safe return. Obviously, we're back. I would say safe and sound, but sometimes I wonder about my own soundness, but safety-wise, we're good. Um, grateful, certainly, for uh, the ability to be gone a couple of weeks to be refreshed uh, spiritually and have a little bit of time to just kind of rest the circuits. Grateful, especially, to all of those men who stepped forward and preached and taught. As Eric said last Sunday night at the beginning of his lesson, it is uh, nice to know that there are so many who are willing to step up and share the load, and I appreciate that very, very deeply. But what's more important, the Lord appreciates it as well, so we'll let him take care of the reward there. <clears throat> Before I left, I was asked a question about a subject. A subject that we seldom, if ever, talk about in the Lord's Church. This morning, we're going to begin a little three-part sermon mini-series on that subject. Now, when you hear it, you may think that it's one that there isn't a whole lot to learn about, or you may think that this subject really doesn't have all that much to do with us, but I assure you that it is a good biblical topic, one that you may have been asked about, one that you may have wondered about yourself at times. Some years ago, I was asked a question about it myself, and I must admit that I didn't have a lot of information on it. I didn't have much of an answer to give because I didn't really know that much about it at the time. And as I considered that, I thought, well, in a number of years of full-time ministry, I haven't ever really preached on that. In fact, as I considered before I became a full-time preacher, I thought, I'm not sure if I've even ever heard a sermon on that. So as you can see, it's a topic that we don't talk about a lot, and yet, it probably would surprise you to find out that it is a topic that Jesus Christ taught more on than he taught on baptism. It is a subject that the Lord Jesus Christ taught more on than he taught on communion. It is a subject in the New Testament which, in fact, is taught more than even confession. Now, we'll admit that, that baptism and communion and confession are all very important things. Despite all that, this is a subject that is not traditionally taught by most preachers. In fact, quote, one man found in his research there was not a single book published on the subject amongst our brethren from 1861 through 1954, unquote. For almost 100 years in our brotherhood, there was not a single book published on the subject, according to this man's research. And yet when we look at the topic itself, we see that it is something that was practiced by many great people of faith, many great people of faith, including Moses, Elijah, David, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Jesus, and even the Apostle Paul. Hopefully that's got you all to kind of thinking what we're talking about. The subject is fasting. Fasting. Now again, when you automatically hear that, you're probably thinking, well, what's that got to do with us? 
Well, three lessons, you may learn something on this you didn't know. Why has fasting become such a taboo subject to preach and teach on? Well, it's mentioned a lot in the scriptures, so, so why is it that we don't talk about it much? Well, there's several reasons. One of those reasons might possibly be because it has developed such a bad reputation due to some of the practices of the Middle East. Muslims, for instance, during the month of Ramadan, fast from dusk till dawn, daylight hours. They abstain from food and drink and smoking and intimacy. During the NBA playoffs last year, there is a particular player on one of the teams who practices and, and takes his religion seriously in that regard. And I heard from one of the commentators later on that it's, it's difficult for this one pro NBA player because usually during the playoffs, if he's involved in them, that's when Ramadan comes and sometimes he has to fast all day and so doesn't eat and all of that. And he goes back to the locker room at night after, after, uh, after sundown, he'll go back and sometimes get something to eat during halftime and all of that. But here's the thing. In the playoffs this past year, that particular basketball player in the NBA, while he practices his fasting in line with his religion during the playoffs, there was some of the most vulgar gestures and language going on between him and the crowd. The very, during the practice of his, his fasting, there was this terrible interaction going back and forth. And so one of the first things that I want for us to understand as God's people is that fasting in the scriptures is never meant to be a substitute for godly living. That's the first key, okay? It is never meant to be a ritual that replaces godly living. Turn to me in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 58, and let us take a look at this. Isaiah chapter 58. This is a text that we will more than likely come back to in our third and final discussion next Sunday morning on this topic. <clears throat> Fasting was never meant to be a substitute for godly living. Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. God is telling Isaiah here, here's what I want you to do. Tell them their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances, the ordinance of their God. God says, they, they, they come to me and they, they say they want to know me as if they're not living wrong the rest of the time. Like some nation that didn't forsake their God. And, and God's point is, is, there are people that have forsaken me and yet they're coming in here and they're, they're making this play of wanting to know the right way to do things when they're not really living for me to begin with. Like, like some nation that actually does do righteousness. He says, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And they say, why have we fasted and then say, you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? God says, these people come to me and say, hey, we fasted, why haven't you been paying attention, God? One thing I want you to notice quickly in verse three, 
The term afflict your souls and fasting are synonymous terms. They're like the church, the kingdom, the body in the New Testament. When the Bible talks about afflicting your soul in many contexts, as we will see in, in other texts, it is talking about fasting as they are hooked together here. He says, they're asking me, well, we fasted, God, how come you haven't honored it? Verse 3, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. God says in the, in the, back, the back part of verse 3, this is why, because in the day of your fast, when, you, when you're supposedly fasting and seeking me, you're also doing whatever brings you pleasure and you're exploiting your laborers. You're not really living for me. You're putting on this show of seeking me, but you're not really living for me. Indeed, God says, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. God says, you're making this pretense of fasting and seeking me, but you're not really seeking me. You're only fasting so that you can go out and continue to live as you want. God says, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. Now again, you see fasting and afflicting your soul used to represent one another. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? God said, is that really all that fasting is about, is, is to deny yourself and bow your head? And Is that really all it's about? Is that what I mean when I say fast? And God's going to go on to explain, no, there's more to it than that. Verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? God said, isn't this what it's really all about? To loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? God says, doesn't that go with fasting? Isn't, isn't that what it's all about? If you're going to seek me in fasting, if you're going to seriously seek me, then you need to seriously live for me. That's, that's the fasting I have chosen. That's what I'm talking about, seeking my will in fasting and doing it. Then, verse 8, your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. And you will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the point of your finger and speaking wickedness. These people were pointing their finger at each other. They were speaking wickedness about each other. Oh, we're fasting. We're, we're seeking God. And then they're going out and, and living just like the world around them. And fasting was never meant to be a substitute for godly living. They go hand in hand. He said in verse 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness will be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God said, if you're gonna seek me with fasting and you're gonna say you're serious about it, okay, but you better be serious about living for me too. Because otherwise, all the fasting is just a show. We see the same sort of idea in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And I'm not going to turn there, but, but God said that he's not going to accept their feasts and stuff because their hands are full of blood. He's not going to accept their, their Sabbath worship because they're going out the rest of the week and they're, they're not living for God. And, and they go together. Fasting also, besides not being used as a substitute for righteous living, 
was also never meant to be used as a means of flaunting one's own religion or personal sacrifices. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, where he talked about the Pharisees disfiguring their faces when they want every, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting for God, I'm suffering, I'm sacrificing so much. And Jesus said, that's not honored. They, they've already got their reward. Jesus talked about when you fast, it's not a means of flaunting your religion. It's not, it's not flaunting how bad you've got it because you're actually doing service for God. Jesus said, you keep it secret and your Father will reward you. We also know that fasting is abhorrent to God when it is used as a prideful reflection of one's own self-righteousness. We see this with the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Remember the Pharisee went up there and talking about, oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm glad I'm not like this sinner. I fast twice a week. God, you should be so pleased I'm on your side. God has no use for that. Fasting to show what a great religious person I am shows what a not so great religious person I am. That's not the right reason. You see, fasting can become useless ritual, uh, like here in Isaiah 58, okay? It can become useless ritual if we're not living for God the rest of the time. It's like, going, can going to church become a useless ritual? Can we show up for all the Sunday services and then go out and live and be a cutthroat and foul language and all that other stuff? Can, can that happen? Sure. It's like Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, love, justice, and mercy. These you should have done without neglecting the others. When it becomes just a ritual, when it becomes just something you do and you walk into the locker room at halftime or you, you fast and you let everybody know it, but then you go and live for yourself the rest of the time, that's not fasting that's honored by God. A uh, second reason that a lot of preachers don't preach on fasting is perhaps because so many New Testament Christians today have decided it really doesn't have anything to do with us. It's really not something that the church is taught to do. Hmm. I'll leave that one alone, at least until tonight. On the subject of fasting, we're going to have three different lessons. We're going to look this morning at fasting in the Old Testament. We're going to look tonight at fasting in the New Testament. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to look at fasting for God's children today, yes or no and why. I want to begin with a definition. Fasting. Fasting. Fasting is not just going without food to lose weight. Fasting's not about the body. We read several times where fasting is what? Afflicting the soul. Fasting is for a spiritual reason. That is important. It's not just because I want to lose a few pounds. It's not just because of this or that. Fasting, according to the Bible, is always for a spiritual reason. It is seeking God on a more intense level in, in any one of a, a dozen different ways that we're going to talk about, okay? But fasting is always abstaining from food for a spiritual reason, to seek God on a deeper level. It's just like the miraculous gifts that we've been studying on Wednesday nights. We'll conclude this coming Wednesday nights. What was the purpose of the miraculous gifts? To confirm the word. Remember when Timothy was ill? Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach. Remember that? Paul didn't heal him. Not only that, Paul didn't heal Trophimus when he had his problems or Epaphroditus. 
Because the miraculous gifts weren't just to throw around whenever you wanted to. The miraculous gifts weren't just, hey, zap, I can do this. That's no. The purpose of the miraculous gifts, according to Mark 16, was to confirm the word. And, and we've, we've seen this in our study. Well, in the same way here, fasting is not a weight loss program. It's not something that you do to appear godly or righteous. Fasting is specifically for a spiritual reason for seeking God. So by way of introduction, I'm going to give you three quick points that we are going to see and explore in this morning's lesson. Hopefully that's what I'm going to do. Yes, I am. The purpose of fasting, and, and we'll go over these a little bit more at length as we continue. To afflict or chasten the soul. That is the purpose. It's about the spiritual, not the physical. Not to afflict the body, but to humble the soul. Same idea. Okay, that is the purpose, as we shall see. The nature of fasting. Typically, this was only abstaining from food, not water, although there are cases where both food and water were abstained from. Gen generally, typically, it was abstaining from food. That was the nature of fasting. Sometimes it was only certain foods. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Again, the notes are there so that you can study more of this on your own. Sometimes it was an absolute fast or no food or water, and we're going to read at least one of those texts here a little later on. So as we consider those things, it's kind of interesting, and I checked this out with several different references, okay? Both within and outside the Brotherhood, because I wanted to make sure this was right before I said it. There's only one time, this may surprise you to learn, that fasting was actually commanded by God in the Mosaic Law, one time where it was actually commanded to be done, okay? That was on the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement, as we're gonna see in Leviticus chapter 16. Did I miss one? I'm sorry, I missed one, my bad. Purpose, the nature, then the length. Sorry, we'll get there in a minute. Typically, it was from sunrise to sunset. Sometimes it was for more than a day. Now I will move on to the fact that it was only commanded once. My apologies for missing that slide. See what happens when you're away from the pulpit for you know, a little bit, I'm telling you. <clears throat> the Day of Atonement was the day it was commanded. Turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. want us to read, beginning at verse 29. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. On that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. This was given to God's Old Testament people, the Jews. We would notice again Leviticus chapter 23. If you'd flip over about seven chapters with me to Leviticus chapter 23, we would begin reading in verse 26. 23, 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It will be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Once again, we see that it was once a year on the Day of Atonement for the whole day, they were to, again, afflict their souls, okay? I know the word fasting is not found in that text. However, we see in the Old Testament, as I've already brought up, this term afflict your souls is continually used interchangeably and synonymously with fasting. We would notice it in Psalm 69 in verse 10. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my approach. We would also note the same terminology in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 35 in verse 13 as well as Isaiah 58, 3 and 5, which we read and I pointed out earlier. We'd also notice, as we move forward to the New Testament, that in Acts chapter 27, in verse 9, Luke says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Luke is referring, in the context here, to the Day of Atonement. Just showing you that the fasting is with the Day of Atonement. That is the, the context here. As I said, the only time that we see fasting commanded in the Old Testament is in connection with the Day of Atonement. What about us? How does this apply to us? We're not Jewish. We're not physical descendants of Israel. Well, here's a thought to consider, and we'll come back to this next Sunday morning, but here's a thought. We know that things that we often see in the Old Testament find their complete fulfillment in the New Testament. There's a lot of examples of that. We understand that. We understand from Romans 15, verse 4, and in other places that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that things that were written beforehand were written for, for us to learn from. What about us? What does this have to do with us? Well, what about our Day of Atonement? Think about that. What about our as New Testament Christians, what about our special day? What about the day that we gather together as New Testament Christians to celebrate our at-one-ment with God? Our at-one-ment or atonement with God what about that day that in accordance with our Lord's instruction we gather together to celebrate our at-one-ment? What about that day? Question, shouldn't that day, Sunday, when we, we, we celebrate our at-one-ment or atonement with God through the blood of Christ, shouldn't that be a day that we fast in the sense that we abstain from or refuse to allow any earthly want or need or desire to get in the way 
of our intensely seeking and celebrating God of gathering together with our brethren for worship? I think that's a good application for us today to truly consider. And again, we'll talk more about that next Sunday morning. The thing that we need to understand is that just because fasting was commanded only once on the Day of Atonement under the Mosaic Law doesn't mean that's the only time that we see people practicing it. You know, there are certain things that we are to do. And some of the good things that God has told us to do under certain circumstances, isn't it good to continue to do those under other circumstances as well? We're to sing in worship, right? We're to sing to one another, right? The Bible tells us that. We're commanded to sing to one another. Let me ask you a question. Is it also good when you're alone and you're depressed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to yourself sometimes? You ever catch yourself going down the road singing? Is that a good thing? Yeah, sure it is. I can remember traveling three hours to church one day, one day, years ago. We used to travel once a month, three hours to church, one direction. A little church that I was preaching in once a month. And, and if the kids weren't asleep during that time, you know, sometimes we'd sing church songs. And sometimes when I'm alone, I've been known to sing to myself. Well, God commanded it when we're together, but it's also good at other times as well as when it's commanded and we see the same thing when it comes to fasting we see it a lot in the Old Testament okay for example Moses fasted seeking God's forgiveness turn to me to this text and, and I've got some of these emboldened a little bit more because those are the ones I'd like for us to turn to we won't turn to them all because of time but we'll turn to some of them turn to this text with me would you please Deuteronomy chapter 9 Deuteronomy chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, Moses said, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a greater, make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a golden calf. Moses is recounting this to the people. He said, you had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets, threw them out of my hands, broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger, for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. Moses fasted while seeking God's forgiveness. One of the things that we need to understand as we go forward, and I guess I just kind of took it for granted that, that we'd all kind of know this, but I'll throw it in here anyway just to clarify. The whole point of fasting for the soul is that I am going to spend time completely locked in on God. I am going to spend this amount of time, this 24 hours, no worldly need, pleasure, desire, whatever is going to get in the way. I am going to focus in on God. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to 
listen to the news if I can put that down, or I'm not going to take phone calls maybe, but I, I'm, going to, I'm going to focus in on God. And maybe it's only for 12 hours, maybe it's only for two hours, it's, but it's a, time of, it's a time of absolute focus, deepest, strongest, intense, intensest, most intense focus on God alone. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the idea behind fasting. And, and Moses was intense, intense, because he knew the people had, had, had done this great sin and they had caused God to be so angry and, and, and he was afraid of God's hot anger. And so he said he fasted as he was seeking their forgiveness. We would notice, I'm not going to turn there, but Ahab, when he found out um, about his destiny in 1 Kings 21, 17 through 29. Ahab fasted. He got real serious real quick. He got real intense about seeking the Lord's forgiveness. So one of the reasons for fasting is, is in seeking God's forgiveness for the sins of others or personal sin. Now I realize that people have to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. I understand that. I understand that sin isn't just forgiven because a person fasts. I, I get that. But at the same time, these are Old Testament examples of people who, because sin had been committed and they wanted God's forgiveness, they showed him how serious they were in seeking him. Now, being serious in seeking him means obeying what he said to get forgiveness. I get that. Don't, don't misunderstand. Don't go out and say, Doug said no. Let <laughs> me give you a real quick New Testament example. Saul of Tarsus, he was without food and drink for what, three days? He, he was fasting whether intentional or not. He was real serious about seeking God's forgiveness, wasn't he? So when Ananias come along and said, in order to be forgiven, you need to be baptized, what does the scripture say? Immediately. So he was seeking it, but he still had to obey the gospel in order to receive it. Just, just a thought. Moving on. People fasted when faced with danger. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Please turn there with me if you would. Note these. This is an education on fasting. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Next time somebody asks you a question, you'll have the answer, beginning at verse one. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, now watch this, and set himself to seek the Lord. What he's about to do next is setting himself to seek the Lord. He is a king, but he knows he needs help. He is in a desperate and dire strait, and he wants to get real serious, real quick, and real intense in seeking the Lord. What did he do? He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord, when faced with overwhelming danger, involved fasting in the Old Testament. They got real serious and intense about seeking God's help when they were in a very dangerous place. Good to know. Esther, as we know, and I'm not going to turn to this one, but we're well aware, Esther chapter 4, verse 16, before she went into the king, we know that if he didn't raise his scepter and grant her an audience, she could be killed. We know that she come to the realization that maybe she was brought to this place for just such a time as this, and that she had to go in before the king. And so what did she have them do? Fast. This is serious. We need to get real serious with God real quick. This is extremely dangerous time. 
we need to seek God with everything we've got and leave everything else behind. So there's another text for you. They fasted in war or with the threat of war. Judges chapter 20, please turn there with me. Judges chapter 20. Beginning at verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and they wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Now, if you're familiar with the whole account here, they've already tried that. There's been some disaster. But we find that they fasted when it was time for tears and it was serious and they're weeping and they just they are they are in these desperate straits and they, they desperately need to know what God wants and so part of their seeking him and his will was showing him how intense they were about it they, they fasted they put the earthly needs aside and they focused in on calling upon God because this was real serious they fasted when loved ones were sick or died in times of deep personal sorrow Turn to me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Nehemiah, chapter 1. Deep personal sorrow. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, read as follows. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, came to pass in the month Shislev, in the 20th year that I was in Shishan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates burned with fire. I, I gotta say, as I read that, trying to draw a modern day picture, something that, that for, for visible that I can lock onto. I can't help but think of some of the scenes that we've seen from Ukraine. The people there in the dire straits. And as I, as I read how, how the survivors are in great distress, reproach, the walls broken down, the gates are burned. Some of those pictures come to me that I've seen in news stories. Perhaps it was something like that here. And Nehemiah says in verse 4, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. How serious was it, Nehemiah? I cried for days. I cried, I prayed, I fasted. I focused just on God and on this terrible circumstance and situation and, and, and food wasn't important. It's just me and God and, and I, I, I poured out my desperation before him if I may give you an idea here of, of, of what he says. And so we see that when loved ones were sick or died or in times of deep personal sorrow, David over Saul and Jonathan, 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, if you would turn there with me 
you would notice this as well. Second Samuel chapter one, verse 12. David finds out that Saul and Jonathan, Jonathan to whom his soul was knit, had both died in battle. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, and they mourned and wept and fasted. And sometimes we mourn. We mourn. And sometimes our situations are so bleak and we are so sorrowful over loved ones that we weep. We seldom fast, but I notice in this sentence they're all put on equal ground. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Nothing else mattered at that point except the heaviness and the burdens they were carrying and so they showed God how serious they were, put everything else aside and tried to give that all to God as they mourned and they wept and fasted. Another one David over his newborn son, if you'll turn right here in the same book and look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. As we begin in verse 10, look what we see. Begin verse 16 instead. We know that David here has committed great sin with Bathsheba. We know that she was pregnant and we see that the baby becomes ill because of David's sin. David therefore, 2 Samuel 12, 16, pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted, went in and lay all night on the ground. David pretty serious, isn't he? David pretty serious. He's pleading. He's laying on the ground all night. He's fasting. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Apparently they came in, David, you've got to eat something. No. He's, he's there, he's mourning, and in his desperation, he is pouring out his heart to God. Nothing else matters. Nothing's going to distract him. Nothing gets in the way. Then on the seventh day, apparently he was at it for a while, on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him the child was dead, for they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do some harm. David saw that his servants were whispering. He perceived the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David rose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Brethren, I, I guess stop for just a minute. We'll continue with the fasting lesson. But what an incredible lesson for us. David has just experienced one of the greatest losses of his life. What's the first thing he does? He goes to the house of God and he worships. How many times have we heard perhaps brethren say something to the effect, well, if God loves me so much, then why did he do this and they're not with us in worship anymore? That ain't David. 
The very first thing he does after this incredible tragedy where he fasted and mourned and, and slept on the ground and, and begged and pleaded with God, the very first thing he did once he got off the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food? It's like, David, are you nuts? <laughs> While, you're, while, while the child is sick, you're in there on the ground. Like it was this terrible thing. And, and now that he's dead, you're up beating like nothing's wrong. David, are, you know, have you lost it in there? What's the deal? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when he died, you rose and ate food. And he said, I love the wisdom here, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? See, David was intense about seeking God. But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he'll not return to me. David realized that, that he had fasted, he had done everything he could. He had been as intense with God as he could about this, and God's will was not David's will. And he said, okay. He knew he had done all that he could do. Fasting also accompanied repentance as a sign of genuine remorse over sin and spiritual rebellion. Please turn to me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Back up a book. 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all of the house of Israel, saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Laying it out there. Okay, people, listen. You want God to deliver you? Then start living for God. So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and served the Lord only. And, the Lord, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, draw water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. They fasted and they said, We have sinned. They were serious about their repentance. They were serious about the fact that they had sinned about God and they wanted God to know that the most important thing to them at this point was seeking his forgiveness. The earthly stuff didn't matter. That's what they did. Their genuine remorse over sin. They didn't, they didn't fast because they'd gotten caught. You know, some people will say, well, I'm sorry. Well, some people are just sorry because they got caught. Maybe they'll be sharper next time. This isn't what happened here. These people were genuinely sorry that they had sinned. And so there was prayer and fasting, and they showed God the intensity and the seriousness of their remorse. And the Ninevites in Jonah, chapter 3, I know Eric just preached on this last Sunday night, but turn over there if you would please. Jonah, chapter 3. I know I put it here. Jonah, chapter 3. Look what it says. Verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, that come first, 
proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we do not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster he said he'd bring on them and he did not do it. When these people got serious about their sin, when these people got serious to the point that the king said, okay, we're not eating, we're not drinking, we are going to show God just how serious and intense we are about our sins, and, and we're, going to, we're going to pour out our hearts to God, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink, we're going to turn from those evil ways, and maybe, just maybe, God will see how serious we are and God won't do this to us, and what happened? Exactly that. See, when we start talking about fasting, what we need to think about is time to get just as serious and intense about spiritual things as I can possibly be and nothing earthly is going to get in the way. That's a good synopsis of what we're talking about. Ah, okay. As we wrap up with the Old Testament this morning, I want you to understand some things because it sets the stage for tonight and for the rest of this study. In the Old Testament, we see that whether God's people were celebrating God's goodness, celebrating God's atoning sacrifices, whether they were genuinely sorry for the sins that they had committed, whether they were seeking God and his love and forgiveness, whether they were feeling hopeless, outnumbered, sorrowful, or in times when they were facing an overwhelming sense of fear or danger. Their answer was quite often the same. Seems like it was during those times that they often felt that humbling their souls and focusing solely on the God of heaven, focusing in intensely, desperately, solely on the God of heaven at the expense of everything else on earth, they believed would help them to incur God's richest blessing. And you know what? Most often did. It did. Now, of course we as, please note sarcasm, of course we as New Testament children of God, we'd never need to fast would we? I mean, seeing as how we never get to feeling discouraged or hopeless or overwhelmed or depressed or outnumbered or anxious or fearful or sorrowful or grateful or serious about seeking God's love 
and power and direction in our lives, we'd never need to do those things, would we? Hmm. Of course we would. I really hope that you are here tonight as we talk about fasting in the New Testament because yes, the New Testament actually does have fasting in it as well. New Testament where the church was established and even the church fasted at times. I hope that you're here for that. The Lord's Church. Question this morning. Are you a member of the Lord's Church? You may be here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins to become a member of the Lord's One New Testament Church. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, if you are willing to truly believe on Jesus as the Son of God, you are willing to confess, you are willing to repent of your sins, turn to God, turn away from your sins, and obey the gospel by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, God will wash away those sins. He did Saul of Tarsus, and Saul said he was the worst of all sinners. He killed people for his religion. God forgave him. He wrote a lot of our New Testament after that, by the way. God loves you, God wants you, God sent his son to die for you, but it is up to you to obey the gospel to partake of that blood, to cleanse your sin. And then from that point to live faithful. Maybe you've already been baptized and you need the prayers of the church. If we can help you in any way, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing and hope to see you back tonight as we talk about fasting number two. <laughs> 